Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Jane, thanks for reading for us. And Giles, thanks for praying. Let's, uh, let's dive straight into this next bit of uh, the book of James. We started it last week and we come to this uh, second section. And really the, the thing for us to get our heads around, first of all, um, is that how we respond to trials uh, really matters. So verse 12, let me just read it for us again, page uh, 1215. Verse 12, blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So we're being told if you and I persevere in trials, if we trust God in trials, if we keep following Jesus to the end, these verses assure us we are blessed. We are the most fortunate of people. We're the happiest for we will receive the crown of life. So that's really the headline. There's a crown of life if we persevere. That's the headline of, of the passage. And, and the idea behind that is probably some sort of uh, athletic uh, crown, a, a, a wreath like uh, this uh, sort of thing, uh, a medal. I don't know if anyone's done the London Marathon, but at the end you get the, the medal and a prize possession. All of those hard yards, all of that, that training was worth it. And so if we persevere as Christians, and, and there's an indication here that at the end of verse 12 that you know, that, is, that is in part because we love him. That is one of the things that keeps us going. Uh, his love for us, but our response to him. That's for those who love him, for those who persevere. Through, as we heard last week, many tribulations. That's the Christian life. Through many tribulations, as we persevere. And when we get to the finish line, the trials will be over. And we're assured in these verses that we will receive particular recognition, I would guess, for particular trials. But also, I think the picture behind that isn't just a sort of physical cram, but it's a picture of receiving eternal life itself. It's a picture of, of drinking in 
uh, blessing from God, not like we experience in this life from the downstream, but finally from the source of the fountain, from, from God himself, the source of all goodness. And some of us need to hear that, especially uh, today uh, here or if we're watching online. There are trials in our health. Uh, there's trials at work. There are trials in our families, in our uh, relationships. Um, we feel overwhelmed by sadness. We just feel battered by life. And James says, uh, hear this, friends. There is a crown of life for those who persevere in trials. Your trials, which seem so unrecognized in this life, won't be wasted, but rather rewarded. So that's the, the headline of this passage. But of course, before we get to the crown of life, life is hard and long. And the question really for us this evening is, how, how will we get there? How will we persevere? And the answer in James is that that happens through genuine, persevering faith. And that is revealed in, in how we live in practice. So that's what this letter of James is all about, that, that we're looking at in these, uh, these next few months. It's about genuine faith. Um, we'll, we'll see next week that we're, we're, we're to look in the mirror of God's word and really work out whether, whether what we're seeing is, is genuine faith, on the one hand, or conversely, James also warns against fake faith. We'll see something of that in the book as well, which I guess knows the right answers. There's a bit later on where, where people are giving the right answers, but James says, yeah, but hang on, even the demons you know, can, can sign up to that one. So there's clearly fake faith, which is able to give all of the right answers, is you know, here on a Sunday, but is really on the fringe of faith, as we heard last week. Doesn't, doesn't actually live it out at all, and so James warns of double-mindedness or double-soulness. We heard that last week. We'll see it again in, in chapter four, where, where where that person is sort of listening to to God, but really there's a friendship with the world that that trumps that. That's just worth pausing and, and just just saying that we we do all have a gap between what we say we believe and how we live. That's, that's true of all of us. None of us are perfect. We, 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 we don't live it out. The, the thing that I think will help us in the book as we go through it is that genuine faith longs to close that gap. Fake faith isn't that bothered by, by, by that gap. Um, so, so genuine faith sees that, is, is troubled by the gap. Many of us here are genuine believers and, 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 and you long you long for that gap to close. You, you, you wish it, you were more consistent in your Christian life, don't you? And that is an encouragement to you, that there's genuine faith going on. And so, James, the sort of message, you, you know this from the, the train, the mind, the gap, is sort of one of the, the things that's going on. The, the genuine Christian notices the gap, seeks to close it with God's help. Fake faith isn't really bothered by that gap. They can, they can let it slide. The gap widens. That's not a problem. And here in our passage this evening, one of the key things that reveals genuine or fake faith is how we respond to, to trials. As we heard last week, our response will shape the sort of people that we become. 
uh, either as we respond to trials with God's help, we will, we will grow in maturity. We will become big-hearted Christians. We, we will become great Christians. Uh, or we can become bitter or, or, or stunted. In other words, trials will be the, the breaking of us or the making of us, to use the phrase from, from last week. They, they have the potential to take us off track. They actually have the potential to take us away from the crown of life itself. And so responses to trials really matter. And at each point we have a choice just up on the screen here that either we accept the world's wisdom or we open the door to God's wisdom. Chapter 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God. It's the call at the start of James to, to receive and, and cry out for God's wisdom. Say, I don't get this, Lord. Please help me. And we will do that. We will make that choice, that first step, on the basis of whether we think God is good or bad, whether we think God is trustworthy or not. And so the headline is, there's a crown of life if we persevere. And then the rest of the passage after verse 12 breaks down into a, a wrong response and a right response. So let's take the wrong response first in verses 13 to 15. And here it is. Don't blame God for sin. This, this wrong step can, can take us in wrong directions. Now, now let me read verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now notice the expectation here, when you are tempted. So he doesn't say, look, if you're one of those really weak Christians who gets tempted, he doesn't say that. He, he expects that all Christians are going to be tempted. So he says, when you, when you are tempted. He says, when that happens, don't say verse 13, don't say I'm being tempted by God. Now we need to know at this point that the, this Greek word for tempted that's translated tempted in verse 13 is the same word that, um, that we get in verse 2, uh, trials. It's the same word that's in verse 12, trials. It's a word that can have a range of meanings. It can be translated either. And, and really the idea is that, that here is an external trial. So there's a temptation, an external trial which comes towards us but then off the back of that, there's an internal response, how we respond to it. And that internal response can be good or it can be, it can be sin, it can be anger, it can be grumbling, it can be envy. And when that response happens, a sinful response, James says, don't blame God for that response. And we live in a blame culture. We blame our, our, our genes or it's, it's always someone else's fault. And, and James is saying it, it would be easy to say, you know, well, God made me with this weakness. You, God put me in this situation and, and therefore I had no choice to respond in a sinful way. And therefore it was his fault that I, that I did. You know, so we say God, God gave me an exhausting child or, or, or teen and I, I had no choice really but to lose it with them or with my spouse and therefore it's God's fault. Or we say uh, you know, God loaded too much on me at work. I had no option but to you know, look at porn. I needed relief from the situation that he put me in. 
always say, God has made my life too hard. And so nursing resentment and nursing envy and nursing discontent and a grumbling spirit are the only option. And that is at his door. And James is lovingly pushing against that and saying no, no. Because he cares about what we think about God because he knows how significant that is. And so he teaches us about God. He says, verse 13, God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So this is about the nature of God. You see, to entice people to sin would be sin, would be evil. And James is saying it's not in in the range of God's possibilities for God ever to do evil, ever. It's, It's not in his nature. He cannot, by nature, do such a thing. It's in our fallen nature to do so, but not in his. So God cannot be tempted to tempt you. Does God test us to make us stronger? Yes, we heard that last week. Does God tempt us to sin? No. The the response is, is ours. And James lays out how temptation works. He gives us something of the inner working of temptation and sin. He, he starts by saying that sin is like a, like a lure or, or like bait. In our, we've, we've got into watching, we watch all sorts of crazy TV, don't you? We've got into watching Mortar and Whitehouse Gone Fishing. It's very gentle TV, quite fun, uh, quite gentle. You're laughing, that's okay. Some of you might like it. Some of you might like fishing, it's great. Anyway, uh, on you know, various occasions, um, they, they make bait or they go and buy bait, they buy a lure or they make their own f- fly and it looks very attractive. That's the idea behind it. You put it before the fish, it looks very attractive and they gulp it, but of course it's got a hook. It's, it's baited, but it's, it's a hook ultimately. And James is saying that sin is like that. Sin is attractive, sin entices, but it has a hook. And what entices us, if you, if you look carefully in verse 14, what entices us is actually our own desire. It's our own desire that entices us. Or literally, our over-desire over for, for something can do that. Uh, I saw this in my own heart um, recently. It's the time of year where, where primary school choices are sort of allotted and decided and we put in our our choices um, for our, our oldest uh, our daughter. And uh, we, we got our second choice of, of primary school. Now let me just pause. Um, that is a first world, that's a first world problem, um, really. Many in the world have no education. Um, or, or if they do, they, they don't have a choice, or they have to walk 10 miles to the only school that, that there is. So primary schools in Bromley are, are great. So this, you know, getting your second choice is... Um... But when I, when I heard, uh, I guess my over-desire for, for getting my own way kicked in maybe, maybe the idol of education, maybe the sense that I, I'm, I should be entitled to my... I should be able to have a free choice about the opportunities that I give my, my children. Um, 
As usual, Ruth, my wife, responded in, in, in more godly ways. But for me, the disappointment, initial disappointment, led me to thinking things like, Lord, why, why are you making my life so hard? Um, you know, there are other challenges in life at the moment. Why don't you give me a break? And I, you know, as I describe it to you now, embarrassed, seemed way out of line with what happened. But actually the next step was I felt justified in, in just starting down the path of, of sin, of envy of, of others. You know, got their first choice or whatever. For me, actually, last week, um, Andy's sermon, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, was profoundly helpful for me. If any of you lacks wisdom in trial, ask God and you know, at some point I gave in to God and started to, to do that. And actually, it was helpful for me. I can start to see God's wise choice, that his first choice, his first choice is better than my first choice. And uh, it's a great school. It'll be great. But, you know, it was, a, it was a bit of a journey. And I mentioned that. I mean, it's not really a trial. It doesn't fall in the category, really, of, of, of trial. But I just, you know, a tiny worked example, maybe, of how temptation works for all of us in these different situations. You know, bigger trials than that, much harder than that. But, but where it starts is that we can think that God is mean. That, uh, you know, that, 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 that he's the one luring us when actually, James says, we need to acknowledge our, our part in that. And James is warning us against starting a on a dangerous path. He's saying when we notice that, we need to take action. We need to get off that path very quickly because in verse 15, he changes the metaphor and he moves from sort of fishing, allure to, to, to sex and the language of conception. And he says if we don't resist temptation, what happens is we're seduced by our over-desire. Conception happens, which gives birth to sin. See that in verse 15 gives birth to, to sin. Now just pause. There, there does seem to be a, a, a difference biblically between temptation and sin. We know that Jesus was, was tempted, was tested, and yet never sinned. It's possible, therefore. I think it's much harder to tease apart um, for us than, than for him. External testing, in my experience, and, and, and in hu fallen humans, very quickly leads to internal desire, and there's always the potential for sin with us. And so James says, watch out. If we, th you know, we think that if, if we give in to temptation, it will sort of lose its power, but James says it's actually the opposite. Notice, desire gives birth to sin, and then sin has a life of its own. It, it, it grows up, and when it's fully grown, there's actually another birth at the end of verse 15. Sin, when fully grown, brings forth. It's the language of giving birth. It, it, it gives birth to death, actually eternal death. And so here is a horrible progression that is laid out for us. And it all came from desire. And that came from a wrong response to, to trials, to blaming God to our, for our sinful response to them, to, to, to thinking wrongly of God. Now this isn't, this isn't easy. This isn't easy to, to do this, but, but James is warning us. He's saying if we continue on this path, if, if we respond to sin like this, it will be the, uh, to trials like this, it will be the breaking of us. So, so here's, here's a PowerPoint which just lays out this first wrong choice, just what we've traced so far. The world's wisdom, the unstable person, listening to our, our over-desires, 
sin and, and death. And so James is saying how we respond to trials really matters. So can I say to you, brother, sister, this evening, what, what trials are you facing at, at the moment? Some of us, the, just the normal trials of everyday life. Some of us, some really big, hard, painful stuff. And James is saying, with God's help, seek to resist the thought that God is mean, that God is out to get you, that God is specifically out to make you sin in this or that he wants to break you. James is saying, let him in. Verse five is the, is the key to this. If any, let him in and ask for wisdom. And he encouraged us to do that this last week. And so I wonder, can I ask, have, have you taken his encouragement? Have we prayed for wisdom this week as we've met that trial? If not, God calls us. Let me uh, in. So that's a word for brothers and sisters. Look, it may be that you're looking in on the Christian faith um, online or, or here in the room. And, and like us, you face the trial of just the fallen world that we live in. And the question is, how will you respond? And the world's way says, you know, you don't deserve what's coming your way. You go it alone. You are the captain of your soul. Blame God if you want to. Shake your fist at him. Uh, go on. And uh, James is saying, look, if we continue on that path, it will kill off the person that God wants you to be and it will actually lead to your eternal death as you continue to reject him. And so the call is, let God in. Cry out to the God that you maybe don't even think is there and say, God, I don't understand what's going on in life. I have no other resources. I need your wisdom, please help me. So look, there's the, there's the first response, a wrong response that can miss out on life and end in death. Here's the second. And here's the one that, that, that James is calling us to. And it seems expects that we will as we hear the encouragement. He's writing to brothers and sisters. He says, my beloved brothers, don't be deceived in trials. So, so the, the call here is to instead trust your good father. The danger, is, of course, is we're deceived in trials and deception starts, as always, with the character of God. Um, that's been Satan's tactic ever since Eden to attack the, the character of what God is like. And so James is at pains to remind us of, of what God is really like in these verses. And he's saying he's not a God who's trying to catch you out. Now, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. So in fact, God gives good gifts. In fact, he gives the perfect gift of, of new spiritual birth. Last week we heard that, that trials are tough and painful and, and sad. But I guess here James is encouraging us, even in the midst of it, to look around in the trials of life and try and hold on to something of God's provision and his strength and his goodness. And many can testify uh, to that. Um, during uh, COVID at, at our morning service, we, we started saying um, a phrase at the start of our services. Um, we weren't allowed to sing, you know, limited things that we could, we could say really. So we wanted to say things that we could join in on. And one of the phrases we had was, God is good all of the time, all, all of the time. God is good, which many people around the world say. And, and so we've been doing that each, each week. It's actually not that easy to quite know how we would 
sort of stop it if we, you know, if we wanted to? Would we be saying that week that you know, God isn't good? And actually, the one week that I forgot to put it in the liturgy was Christmas Day. So, you know, um, and you know, we, have to, we probably have to think this through at, at some point. And, and you can send me answers on a postcard, and it would be good to chat about it. But I, but I want to acknowledge that I know that there are some weeks, where, maybe every week, some of us find that very hard to say. Maybe very hard to say right at the start as we come into the room. I spoke to someone recently who, who, who felt that and, uh, and we talked about it. And, but he also said that I, I kind of wouldn't want to stop saying that um, because it anchors me in, in God's character. I find that I, I speak the truth and then my heart catches up during the service. And James is, is really doing that in these verses, I think. He's anchoring us in the midst of painful trials, right in the character of God. He's saying God is good. He's, verse 17, he's the father of lights. I didn't realize it's the only use of this phrase in the, in the Bible, the father of lights. It means that he's the father or he's the creator of the heavenly lights, the sun, the moon, and, and the stars. And James is saying, therefore, to his Jewish uh, readers, He's saying something like, remember those passages in the Old Testament. Remember those passages like Job 38 or Isaiah 40 where God's greatness is revealed in his creation of the stars. More than all of the grains of sand, as we heard last year, he knows each one of them by name. Not one of them is missing. Remember that, he's saying. Well, that same God, the Father of lights, has sovereign care for you and so you can trust him in in your trials and if that's not enough he adds verse 17 the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change you know what shadows are like they're always moving always on the move you know you sat, maybe you sat in the garden yesterday it was a lovely sunny day and you sat down beautiful spot glaring sun and then half an hour later the shadow of the tree had just covered you and you had to move or the clouds started chasing the shadows around and you had to chase around the garden. Shadows are always moving is the point and, and they're sort of dark as well so dark and always moving is, is the image here and, and we change, you know, we're, we're chameleons and human fathers, they shift position, they, they can go through phases, they can be bad but James is saying God's not like that. God's not shadowy or shifty. God doesn't have a really dark side which will suddenly come out, that we'll suddenly discover. He's not like that. He, what you see at the point of the cross, which is the moment we, we see his goodness most clearly, what you see at that point is what God is like backstage, if I could put it like that, all of the way through from his sacrificial goodness at the cross. In nature, he's the same all of the way through. He's good by nature. He's unchangeably good. He doesn't change, we're told. He doesn't change. He's, the, the theological word is immutable. The immutability of, of God. He's unchangeably good. Not unchangeably static, like a stone. Stones are unchangeable, aren't they? But it's not a very attractive idea. He's not unchangeably static like a stone. God is unchangeably alive, fully alive, unchangeably so, fully engaged, fully active, fully present to us. And he is always true 
to his character. Every nanosecond towards us is love and care that he might bless us in eternity. We're going to sing in in a minute words which I think must have been drawn from these verses. Great is thy faithfulness. O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. God is unchangeably faithful. Unchangeably good. Unable to do evil. And that is still true in trials when clouds seem to hide the sun. (laughs) When the clouds, it's been a cloudy day today, but we all know the sun is there, don't we? Even in England, we know it's there. We saw it yesterday. Hasn't moved, hasn't gone away, but the clouds have been there today. And uh, Jesus experienced that on the cross. He knew what it was like to know that God was good, but to feel forsaken. William Cooper, a, a poet, said in his depression, Behind a frowning providence, God has a smiling face. And I've been thinking about this. I don't know, maybe the experience of toddlers can help us a bit to understand this. They, they often just can't understand what their parents are doing, can they? They just, they can't. They don't have the perspective to do so. You know, one minute you say to the, 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 the toddler, you know, let's go outside to play and, and, and you head outside and the next minute, you, you, you shut the gate which leads to the, the main road. And the, the child's looking at you and sort of, why are you changed? What, what, what are you doing? Why, why, are you treat, why are you so changeable? But, but actually, both of those actions from the good parent come from an unchangeably loving heart. Both of them. But of course, the toddler can't understand that. It doesn't have the parameters to do so. You, you would hope that they'd be able to trust that they have enough evidence to trust that the parent is good, but it's confusing. And Friends, in trials, we're, to- we're toddlers, in a, in a sense. We have a very limited, non-eternal view. But because of the cross, we can trust our Father. And, and further, than, you know, verse 18, we'll come to this now, is evidence of that. Let me read verse 18. It's like James is giving evidence. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, just some quick notes on the verse, and then we'll put it together. Uh, brought forth, that phrase, it's the same as verse 15, brings forth death. So we've got, we've got birth going on here. Uh, word of truth, elsewhere in the New Testament, it's shorthand for the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus dying to free us from the power of sin. Word of truth, I think that contrasts with with deception or lies that we've had a a couple of times. So so put those things together and, and, and what we see is that without Jesus, you and I were trapped in a in a cycle that we couldn't get out of. A cycle of desire giving birth to sin, leading to inevitable death. And only a new birth from outside could break that cycle and get us out, not a physical birth, but a spiritual one. And here we're told that God has given that to us as we receive the good news about Jesus. Of his own will, God did that for you if you're a believer. Of his own will, you had no merit you could present, but he gave it freely to you. And God is good because he's given us the perfect gift, which will be ultimately the crown of life in eternity. And so now here we are as the first fruits of God's 
creatures. The first fruits of a crop are the very best of the crop or the sign of more to come. And we've been remade to be the best of all of God's creatures, to be the first fruits. Because in particular, he's remade us in his image to be like him. Only human beings are remade to, to be like that. God hasn't, you know, his other creatures aren't made like that. The sun, you know, the antelopes, the trees, those creatures don't get that. We're the first fruits. It's immense privilege, says James. And we'll see in the rest of the letter that that works out in various ways. So a good and giving God has remade us to be a good and giving people. That will affect in James how we treat the weak. It will affect how we speak to each other. And so genuine faith is going to be revealed in James as we look like God. As he's revealed in his law of liberty that we'll see next week. And so how we respond to trials matters. It can reveal genuine faith but it also has the potential to reveal fake faith that can take us off course it it will it will be the breaking of us but it can be the making of us and so here's just a just to finish that diagram that we started on the other side you you see what he's longing for and expecting from believers and from us this this evening would be that God's wisdom would lead to steadfastness that we'd we'd listen to the gospel more than the, the the inner voice of sin that that would lead to maturity and to life. Now, trials come. It's, it's not that at every trial, if we're a believer, we can undo salvation. You know, that we can put ourselves finally and fully on, on the path to death if we're, we're, we're believers. The Bible speaks of the perseverance of the saints. We believe that, that God keeps us. He's, he's writing to brothers and, and sisters. But the way that brothers and sisters are kept to the end is hearing God's warning and, and listening and responding. And God longs that we do that uh, this evening. Look, a final encouragement for us. Many of us are facing hard trials. I know some of them, but not all of them by any stretch. And yet the encouragement is that Jesus does. And that helps us as we feel so helpless in what to say to one another in each other's trials. We can't fix them or make them magically disappear. But we can point each other to Jesus. And I just want to do that as, as we close. Because Hebrews chapter 4 uh, says uh, this. We do not, as verse 15, have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one in every respect who's been tempted as we are. Same, it's the same words that we get in our passage, tempted. He's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And so the encouragement is that Jesus faced trials and temptation and testing. He faced it from the devil. Faced testing in the garden of Gethsemane. He faced it on the cross when there was no answer from God and he felt forsaken. And so Jesus knows what it's like from the inside. And so we can go to him in our weakness and find him to be the most approachable of of people because he gets it. And so we can run to him. And not only that, we're told that he never sinned. He never gave in once, never failed. And that helps us because 
His perfect righteousness is counted for us, his people, when we know that we fall short, we're, we're not as steadfast as we would like to be. His success covers our failure. It helps us to get up again in trials and keep going, to trust him, to ask for wisdom, and to persevere to the crown. Let's pray. Let's have a moment of quiet just to, in our hearts, respond to what God has said to us, and then I'll, I'll lead us in prayer. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great, unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us to respond with your help in the trials that we face that you would help us to persevere in uh, and through pain and that you would give us uh, wisdom and strength in Jesus name Amen